So Luke, here is a hypothetical scenario for you. It's often been said that politics is just show business. Well, imagine if an actual TV personality, someone with no meaningful political experience, decided to run for president. And imagine if he ran a highly populist campaign, sticking it to the party politics and special interests and elites on both sides of the aisle. And imagine if his vulgar, rough-hewn style, his shoot-from-the-hip affect, was embraced by some voters as a refreshing change from politics as usual. And imagine if, against all odds, this vulgar, populist TV personality actually won? I think it would go a little something like this. Politicians are a lot like diapers. They should be changed frequently and for the same reason. Tom Dobbs was the biggest name in fake news. More and more people are watching your show, John Stewart, Bill Moff for news. How crazy is that? Until the day he decided to stop going for laughs. Maybe you should run for president. And go for votes instead. Tomorrow, I will officially announce my candidacy for president. Brace yourselves, people. It's now time for the campaign. From Barry Levinson, the director of Rain Man, Wag the Dog, and Good Morning Vietnam. He's in the debate. You want to know my history, basically? I did inhale because I thought, what the hell? It's lit. It's in my hand. I'll inhale it. When I was a young boy, I used to look at pictures of naked ladies. I uh, just farted a little while back there. Might even want to ask. He's not a puppet. I support hydrogen cars. It's weird because so, you're backed by oil companies. And if you're representing special interest groups, maybe we should be like NASCAR. The little patches on the back. Enron. We take your money and run. Smackdown. He's not politically correct. Four million illegal aliens are crossing the border with bedroom sets and night tables. He's a one-man party. You don't have to have an amendment against same-sex marriage. Anybody who's ever been married knows it's always the same sex. He sounds different. Don't know what to do with it. But what started as a joke... Have you given any thought to what the makeup of your cabinet might be? Well, I've always been a big fan of hardwoods like teak or mahogany. ...is about to end up in the Oval Office. At 1.23 East Coast time, the free world will now be led by a comedian. Whoops. You're going to be president of the United States. In terms of appointments, there are roughly seven to 8,000 slots to be filled. Just off the top of my head, I was thinking Bruce Springsteen is Secretary of State. <laughs> Joe. Follow me, man. Robin Williams. I'm out of ammo! The president's just been shot. He's dead. Let's go round them up. Christopher Walken. Hit him again. And Laura Linney. Did you vote for me? No. This fall. The future is now! It's definitely not. I did not have sex with that woman. Politics as usual. I wanted to. Man of the year. <laughs> you know, Luke, it's an interesting thing. Nowadays, more and more people are getting their news not from CNN or Fox News or the New York Times, but from the late night comics. <laughs> what a what a world, eh? This week we watched the uh, late Bush era time capsule Man of the Year starring Robin Williams and directed by Academy Award winner Barry Levinson. Um and wow, this is a this is really this fucking is a bad. Really shitty movie, <laughs> you know. Um we were, we were saying this while watching it. I know we've done movies that are technically worse than this. Yeah. You know, some part of me deep in my bones thinks this is the worst thing we've ever watched. Well, I think that, you know, the movies that are technically worse are things like a straight-to-DVD conservative film attacking Michael Moore. Yeah. And I don't think it'd be fair to, like, to call a film like that worse. Because this film has, like, money behind it. It has, you know, Robin <laughs> Williams, Robert De Niro. Uh, in a cameo. a cameo. I mean, it has Jeff Goldblum, Louis Black. 
Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken. And the director of uh, Rain Man. Yeah. And I mean, uh, Wag the Dog and other other and toys and I other mean, classic films. I mean, do better. First, I want to start by asking you about your um, blockbuster run of successful articles. <laughs> Frequent listeners to the podcast will know that Luke was recently previously blocked by high fidelity star John Cusack on Twitter. Did that situation ever resolve itself? So, strangely enough, John Cusack retweeted or quote-tweeted my Jacobin article from the fall about Bill Maher, Mm -hmm. and had a tweet where he said Bill Maher is a racist and has a dismissive critique of religion and stuff, and people sent this to me, and uh, so I just tweeted like a joke about, you know, my dude, if you're gonna, you know, retweet my articles, maybe you could unblock me, and uh, like... Luke Savage Nation. I, I didn't tell anybody to do this, but uh... You know, for the next 24 hours, you know, I couldn't see his tweets because he blocked me, but, you know, I could see the Menchies. And half of them were people, were Bill Maher fans angry that, you know, he'd called Bill Maher a racist and saying stuff like, sir, sir, you know, he would eviscerate you in a debate, sir. And then, and then the other half was, uh, you know, people very earnestly saying, hey man, like unblock Luke Savage, you know, and I really appreciate it guys. It was very sweet. And so what happened? He unblocked me. He apologized to me and he followed me. (laughs) Nice. So, so can I just say, what's the next step? Could we have... Can we have John Cusack on to talk about 2008's War Inc., perhaps? <laughs> Less funny was people continuing for hours after he'd apologized and blocked me to tweet at John Cusack saying unblock Luke That's Savage. It's a little embarrassing when you get a new celebrity <laughs> friend and to have, you know, these people cramping your style like that, isn't it? Anyway, so I'm happy to report that Cusack Gate came to a happy conclusion. What was your new article? Uh, so I had something out in Current Affairs, which... I think actually kind of ties in with the movie a little bit. Uh, and I guess I'll just say, you know, can, it's called The Curse of Bipartisanship. If you want, you can go to Current Affairs and, and read it. And uh, if Will's a good producer, maybe he'll even put a link to it below the uh, SoundCloud. I don't know what our policy is on that. Uh, uh, I mean, I'm, skip. I, you know, I'm not somebody <laughs> to support your work. I, <laughs> I think your audience is big enough, frankly. So, I mean, basically, I think one of the things in political discourse that pisses me off most, one of the most irritating and also the most ubiquitous tropes is this idea that partisanship is the problem, right? Mm. And this has a huge constituency, this idea. It has a constituency kind of from center left to center right. It has a huge constituency in the media. There's a certain kind of like, I don't know, political junkie type person that will engage in it because we're not just a collection of red states and blue states (laughs) we're the united states right well i mean so that's where it ends up but i mean Uh it starts from the premise right that you know fundamentally the problem is that politicians just can't agree on things and they argue too much and they have these needless squabbles they needlessly inflamed rhetoric and kind of brinksmanships you know trump's cooperation and where it ends up of course as you alluded to is this place where I mean, the only way you can sustain that argument is if you believe that fundamentally most people share the same set of, you know, beliefs and values. We all want the best for our children. We all want them to have a good education. Mm-hmm. And and uh, we and we all want, you know, means testing and endless warfare and mass incarceration. Yeah. And, but, and, you know, but... Well, we want the bad, the super predators off the streets. I think we can all agree <laughs> on that. So, you know, I think that if you look at, you know, Washington today, you don't see too much partisanship. You see far too much bipartisanship. Um, you know, you see a world where, of course, there is disagreement and there is a lot of needless brinks you know brinksmanship and 
Um, you have Republicans hating Barack Obama's health care plan, even though it's essentially a Republican health care plan designed you know, by a right-leaning uh, policy institute in the 90s, implemented by Mitt Romney in Massachusetts. You know, of course, you have that kind of attitude. But when you look at a lot of the fundamental questions, the, dem- the leaderships of the Democratic and Republican parties, their bases are something else. But, you know, they actually share a lot of common ground and they spend a lot of time doing this kind of compromise, you know, that the bipartisanship advocates uh, are constantly agitating for. And they do it with absolutely devastating consequences for uh, immigrants, for welfare recipients, for people that happen to live in, you know, the Middle East and, you know, or- lots of just ordinary middle class Americans. Very few people profit from or gain from that kind of compromise, you know, except the, you know, elites that run the whole damn thing. Well, there's at least one politician who would agree with you, although might take a a harder line on immigration. Uh, His name is Tom Dobbs, host of his eponymous late night talk show and played in the 2006 film Man of the Year by Robin Williams. I mean, this is just this is just an incredible film. I mean, it is it is worse than I possibly could have imagined. And more than that, it it really is quite a different film than the trailer promises. So we watched this movie because of the trailer. Mm-hmm. Because the trailer looked like this absolutely great 2006 artifact. This was the time when every, it, it everybody is... in the mainstream media was kind of shocked by this idea that people were getting the news from The Daily Show. Mm-hmm. you know. And so this was a movie about that phenomenon. What if we took that to like its logical conclusion and Jon Stewart became president? And the thing is, it is a great 2006 artifact, but it's not quite the one we thought it was going to be. Well, because as as we were watching the movie, what increasingly became clear was this actually isn't a comedy. Robin Williams becomes elected president 30 minutes into the movie and the rest of the movie... Yeah, or it, less even. Yeah, yeah, and the rest of the movie is this kind of like, it's it's sort of like a throwback to a 70s paranoia thriller Yeah. about, and this is why it's another 2006 artifact, we find out that the company that designed the voting machines, these these digital voting machines, actually had a screw up and Tom Dobbs didn't actually become president and they're going to try to cover up this mistake to protect their own interests. Yeah. And Laura Linney, playing the woman at the company who has discovered this problem, spends the whole movie like trying to communicate this fact yeah, to Robin sort of, Williams. In and, sort of knockoff Hitchcockian fashion. Yeah. It's just kind of... The last 90 minutes of the movie are uh, a paranoia thriller. And you're able to say the last 90 minutes because this is a long movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, and... You know, it was really funny to think about the trailer after because you know that when they made this movie, they handed it over to the marketing department and they watched this movie and they're like, okay, we got a problem here because this is a movie in which Robin Williams plays a wacky guy who becomes president and it's not funny. So the trailer packs in all of the comedy bits. Great comedy, by the way. Just (laughs) absolute top-notch material. So let's just do a quick, you know, rundown of the plot. I mean, I cannot stress enough how odd the pacing is is in this movie. Because as Will said, you know, it starts off and you get, I don't know, there's maybe a three-minute or less scene of him doing his shtick as a kind of like normie comedian who makes jokes about politics that are basically stuff you'd see on the daily show or something well this movie is basically like a boomer's facebook status like a democrat (laughs) boomer facebook status circa 2006 if boomers were in fact even on this is this is where this is where the politics of the hashtag resistance were at like 
you know, 10 or 12 years ago. So it's like, you know, Barry Levinson, you know, a guy who was probably in his 60s at the time. I don't know how old he is, but he knows that, oh, yeah, comedians are really hip now. Comedians hold truth to power. Now, who's a comedian? Who's a really edgy comedian? And he knows there's this thing called the World Wide Web, (laughs) which, you know, is a new manner through which information is disseminated. Anyway, so we get about three minutes of him, you know, doing his shtick. Robin Williams, late, you know, gassy, late period Robin Williams. Just the the worst I, I hate and, to speak ill of the dead, but well, holy shit. And a, and a sort of very Bill Maher-esque kind of undercurrent of misogyny to a lot of the one-liners, like just kind of casual. Most of his little, jokes are about, you know, there's some variation of, oh, uh, I, I don't see why uh, gay people can't get married. They should be miserable too. You know, like the, <laughs> yeah. the lamest, easiest, uh, tons of jokes about masturbation. Yeah, yeah. Breast and, implants. And so, and so somebody just casually in the audience is like, you know, I've talked to a lot of my friends and we're you know we're disaffected we're, millennials yeah yeah uh we're we're de- disaffected you know hashtag average voters and and you know we think you should run for president so everyone applauds and then you know christopher walken voiceover informs us that you know over the next 24 hours there were you know tens of millions of emails and so before anything's happened we don't know any of these characters next thing you know he, he's on a campaign bus he's unironically running for president you know you expect a movie with this setup to have him you know he has to kind of be talked into it or he starts it out as a joke or something no no he just jumps into it and his his campaign stump speech is just like a pretty much a straight up kind of it's like a Bullworth-esque thing about special interests are dominating and we need to serve the people but it's and, not even Bullworth because in Bullworth he's like left wing like, yeah that's true like more or less in this mm-hmm. he's he's a small he's a, populist yeah he's apolitical he talks a lot about special interests and, yeah. he, and he talks a lot about how oh yeah the oil companies you mm-hmm. know run these other campaigns mm-hmm. But then later we see him in a debate and he talks about, oh, uh, in the airport, uh, I get questioned so much. Meanwhile, all these illegal immigrants are coming over the border. With big screen TVs. He uh, outflanks the president on like national security <laughs> by basically sort of through a joke accusing him of being soft on Mexicans. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's really... And, you know, I mean, all, all it needed is him to say, like, I'm, and I'm sure some of them are nice people. Yeah. <laughs> or something. Well, and, like, he really couldn't... Like, he's talking about, oh, meanwhile, four million Mexicans come over the border. And he's this close to saying, build the just wall. Just build the fucking wall. Yeah. Um, because and, this, wasn't this around the time that, like, Democrats were co-sponsoring a bill <laughs> about building yeah, the, a fence the first border fence yeah thing. but uh two two this uh, used to be a bipartisan two issue. little known senators called uh hillary Rodham clinton <laughs> and barack hussein obama were yays on that one i believe oh um, man here's to compromise folks if you've ever been through passport control you stand in line with thousands of people eventually you get to an immigration officer who's behind bulletproof glass he takes your passport looks at your passport picture, looks back at you, looks at your passport picture, sees why do you have your haircut? I don't know, I felt good about myself. The next thing he does is they have a video camera that takes a picture of you then and compares it to a previous picture of you. They're very tough about that, they're very skeptical. He's got to make this move. Meanwhile, at the southern borders of our country, four million illegal aliens are crossing the border with bedroom sets and night tables. He's getting angry. Uh, this is not your talk show, Mr. Doss. Uh, and you're not on your private plane flying to the golf vacation you took with the three he- heads of the major oil corporations. Wow. Well, how did you get there? It's and, like and something I never saw before. Mr. Doss, you, you have to return to plane. the podium. Oh, that's a blimp. I'm sorry. Yeah, no Dobbs. smoking in the hydrogen. Boom! Hindenburg. Okay. Mr. Doss, well, no, no, please. I'm just saying. Please, you know, of course it's for hydrogen. It's going to take 30 years to develop. And meanwhile, we still haven't got any more fuel efficiency. We're not exploring alternative fuels like methane. I know it's hard to do holding that chicken over the gas tank, but you know, 
or ethanol, which is basically fuel Mr. alcohol. Dodds. It's grain alcohol. You can say, if I get stopped by the police, my car's been drinking. Not me, baby. <laughs> Again, this all happens so fast in the movie. So, yeah, we so don't have we'll, enough time. We'll, we'll mention the debate, and we're talking, like, this is a this is a movie that is, like, 17 hours long. And that's just within the first, like, 25 or 30 it minutes. It really requires us to bring a lot of our own personal baggage about Robin Williams to fill in the gaps the film, of the character. The film, you know, the film thinks it doesn't need to establish Robin Williams as a character because Robin Williams is already, like, an existing yeah. archetype. and it's like, listen, guys, you know, you love <laughs> Robin Williams. He's so funny. <laughs> this guy up there telling jokes about, you know, lubricants or... You know, you know what this movie is? This is a movie. We'll get back <laughs> I, I said we're going to do a rundown of the plot and we'll finish it, but I mean, there's, sorry, there's just so much to, so much to unpack here. This, this is a movie that is basically like, to me, it's like an airline wanted to have original content on the shitty movies that they watched. They hired these people to make this movie because the only context I can imagine anyone watching this is like when you're in like hour nine of a trans-Pacific flight and you just need something to take your mind off it. And uh, you can see it being like the sort of thing that would be, they had pie charts and they had graphs to say, oh, people people want stuff about politics. People are interested in satire and they're interested in its effect on democracy. But because we're an airline, we can't actually offend anyone. One. It uh, does have that like mass, you know, focus grouped quality to it. And it's like it? who, who do who do people like? Oh well, Robin Williams. He, you know why not? So so basically, you know, he does the debates and stuff, and then we start to get this other plot of. Um, you know, this this woman that works at this company that inexplicably is like managing the it's a private company that just, you know, is running the election. Essentially, mm-hmm. she notices a computer problem. She informs the CEO who is not Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum inexplicably plays like a sort of adjunct to the CEO who's played by somebody, somebody, I don't know, somebody nameless. And, you know, they're not interested, but not out of, they're not rigging the election. It's just a purely cynical business calculation that like, this will send our stock shares plummeting. So there's no, like the politics of that is very strange. Yeah, this is what's so strangely toothless about the movie, because this is coming from that, you know, circa 2006 Democrat paranoia that the Republicans are rigging the election. You know, why were the exit polls? Well, it's not entirely paranoia after 2000. You're right. But, you know, there was, everybody was talking about how, why are the exit polls? in 2004 so different than what the results are and yet this movie can't even can't, even in this fictional world yeah, can't even it, take a stand it won't, it won't even commit to that and it, it kind of wants to have it both ways where it's like he is winning the election because he's like popular and pe- all these tens of millions of people want to break from you know the political consensus with this comedian but then it undercuts it, it by under, the fact that yeah. he doesn't actually win yeah so this movie has two like satiric agendas it could yeah. pursue one of them is to actually do a satire about oh what if a late night talk show host became president and then, of course, it could be a really funny thing about, like, what a terrible president he would be. Well, that's what I thought it was going to be, because when he became president in the first, like, few minutes, I was like, okay, so it's going to be about him governing or whatever. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so inexplicably, Christopher Walken is, like, his producer, but then his entire, like, production team from TV just becomes his, like, campaign staff. Because in one of the first press scrums we see him give after being elected, he says something along the lines of, Oh, uh, I I don't plan to run like a traditional politician. My staff will involve people from both the Democratic and Republican Party, inclu- and some people who have never held public office. Well, that's that's when he's naming his cabinet. Yes. So his whole campaign is like 
like I'm sick of Democrats, I'm sick of Republicans, and then he's just like, but let's let's just bring this first act as president elect is like let's like stuff the cabinet full of well like, from from both parties because <laughs> that way you get a collision of ideas and unelected people, you know pe- people who haven't held office before who presumably are just his staff from TV. Right. Inexplicably, he spends election night in a hospital room with Christopher Walken who just gets ill, but that has no function in the movie except no. that. Like, there's all these really strange little things that happen in the movie. And so they're just in the hospital on election night as he's winning the presidency. Nobody knows where the president-elect, like, is. (laughs) Like, it's just, it's a very strange scene. Um, And then, I mean, the rest of the movie I don't think will take as long to expound upon because it's just him. He meets Laura Linney and, you know, they kind of, we thought they were going to have a relationship and then the film just doesn't quite develop that. Then they, there's a great there's a great little um, outing where they go paintballing because because oh, he's not you know he's not your average president he wears a backwards cap so he's with Laura Linney in the woods after paintballing and they've both got their baseball caps on backwards and I thought well the only reason they have their baseball caps on backwards is because they're gonna kiss. Mm-hmm. And yet they don't kiss. Well, that's in the Zack Snyder cut. And yeah, and so, and so and so what that means is that Barry Levinson, the director, actually wanted Robin Williams to wear his baseball cap backwards to show how cool he is. Yeah, and how non-traditional he is as a president. <laughs> um, which then that is a very Bullworth type <laughs> yeah. thing. So eventually he finds out because she tells him that you know he's not really the president. And then he kind of grapples with it. Then the company tries to destroy her reputation by, like, there's a very, a scene that is, like, much more like something out of Scream or, like, a murder movie or something Mm -hmm. where she's just in her house watching TV and then somebody, like, violently, like, breaks in and, like, injects her with something. She, they inject her with drugs Mm -hmm. to, to make her less credible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, then there's a scene where she's, like, showering the next morning, and I thought it was going to be, like, a psycho-type situation. The film created all of this weird suspense and menace, and then it, I mean, yeah, just totally it's a weird film. Yeah, uh, so I think... It's a bad film. The two things I like most about it are all of the reaction shots whenever Robin Williams does a joke, because we see him, you know, tell so many jokes, and he, there will always be a little beat after he tells the joke where, you know, Luke and I look at each other and just groan. And then the beat is just long enough to make it extra sweet when it cuts to a reaction shot of Lewis Black, like, busting a gut. Yeah, just just sitting in reverence <laughs> of the master. And I think the other thing I like about it is there are so many scenes where people will monologue as if they were saying their normie Facebook status <laughs> just in the middle of a conversation where, you know, Lewis Black will be like, Don't you realize? that that TV is a popularity contest that people voted for Kennedy over Nixon because of the debate and you know the movie delivers this as if it's this fresh new insight yeah those little monologues are just you know a series of yeah these like normie normie epiphanies that contain absolutely no like nothing new nothing revelatory oh no I have a glorious love hate relationship with TV how so TV scares me. It makes everything seem credible. Why is that so bad? So if everything seems credible, then nothing seems credible. You know, TV 
puts everybody in those boxes side by side. On one side, there's this certifiable lunatic who says the Holocaust never happened. And next to him is this noted, honored historian who knows all about the Holocaust. And now there they sit, huh? side by side. They look like equals. Everything they say seems to be credible. And so as it goes on, nothing seems credible anymore. We just stop listening. I also like the scenes where Robin Williams just like, riffs you know in the middle of a <laughs> there conversation there was a lot of improv yeah. in this in this movie <laughs> yeah. maybe there's like an extended cut somewhere oh god just man that's the 20 hour version um so you know basically he goes to see the outgoing president and as he's kind of sitting in the oval office you know at the helm of the great ship of state he's kind of overcome by the gravity of the situation so uh, he goes on um you know, the real news program, uh, Saturday Night Live, you may have heard of it. Mm -hmm. And it's such a bizarre scene because Tina Fey and Amy Poehler are, are like interviewing him as it like as if SNL is just like an like as if it's like Katie Couric or something. Yeah, it's such a straight. It's like he, this, this isn't what SNL is. Now, at this point, uh, sorry to our listeners if you've lost the thread of the plot. But at this point, it's gotten out that the president-elect has had a relationship with Laura Linney and that Laura Linney is this allegedly crazy person who's spreading misinformation about how he was not actually elected. But the polling company has tried to squash these rumors and make it clear that actually she's just a crazy person. Mm -hmm. So Robin Williams is already stuck in this scandal and he's come on SNL to do damage control. And he takes this moment to actually level with the American people and to say... You know what? She was right. I was actually elected because of a computer error. And more to the point, a guy like me shouldn't be president. I should be out there... I'm a, I'm a jester, not a king. I should be out there holding <laughs> politicians' feet to the fire, keeping them honest, keeping them accountable. He's because, like, he's like, we're here to stir things up a bit. <laughs> because, folks, I know you're angry about the system. We all don't think the system works, but... You can't just vote for the angriest candidate. You gotta, you gotta work within the system. Well, I mean, he doesn't and that's say, why Hillary Clinton he, is the only realistic he, choice. He doesn't say we gotta work within the system, but I mean, what what's amazing is like there there was a point there where Will like stopped doing the actual movie, and he but that's because that's because Will's an artist, and text yeah. and meta text are woven se seamlessly together. But no, I mean, ba basically, that's the the film has this kind of. Like, the film will not even commit to this idea of, well, what if we just had a comedian as president, and, and but he was actually good because, you know, it, it won't... Or what if he was bad? Or what if he was bad? It yeah. won't kind of commit to, to either. It won't commit to its own premise. So it ends up swinging back to this, you know, comedians are the vanguards of democracy, you know, as Mark Twain uh, teaches yeah. us. And basically, you know, you can't change anything really is the implication. You know, in a voiceover at the end, Christopher Walken says that, you know, the, the, the outgoing president who is, you know, fakely defeated is reelected. And his second term, you know, was a little better. Not great, but a little better. And perhaps you know, we had something and, yeah, to do with I that. I like to think that I like to think that actions have consequences. And isn't that funny that even in like this fictional world, like in the degraded imagination of Barry Levinson, Robin Williams couldn't have even made him a great president through it's the like, sheer is, force of this, his satire. This is like the West Wing, where after eight years in the White House, the people that are supposed to be the most competent, intelligent, you know, people in the entire country have essentially accomplished nothing. Yeah. Like, they have no policy achievements. And this, like the West Wing, is ultimately a sort of normie liberal fantasia. And so even in their wildest imaginations, the conclusion is like, you know, I'm just a comedian and you can't really change well, anything. Well, even in his campaign, he didn't have any 
you know, vision except to say, oh, the special interests are running things and uh, uh, somebody's got to do something about that. <laughs> and then in the, the closing montage of his jokes when he's back on the air, the movie ends with him saying, politicians are a lot like diapers. They should be changed frequently and for the same reason. And, of course, this is the, the caliber of humor that helped make President Kellogg accountable. <laughs> and sp- <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of humor, I really think, because people are not going to watch this movie, or at least I hope they're not. Um, even, I think even, they should watch the first 30 minutes, Even honestly. You know, I know there's, like, some Michael and Us fans that are extremely method, and they watch the films, like, after we've watched them, like, because they're that committed. But this is one that I would, like, I would, I would really steer away from folks. But I think to give you all an impression of the humor we should just read out a few of these like one-liners uh the, like just to give give you a a sense of what the caliber of the jokes are that are t- you know telling truth to power and uh you know in many ways i guess are, are mirrored today and you know the great satirists of, of our day like you know trevor noah and bill maher and, and uh, others like them uh freedom of religion means practicing any religion you want anytime and anywhere you want like being a jewish buddhist all you do is sit and wait for stuff to go on sale. So we're out of control here. We're absolutely out of control. Could you imagine if uh, President-elect Tom Dobbs actually said that and had to resign the next day? There's, I, I don't even remember this, but this is in the quotes. Uh, he said, I'm obsessed with Angelina Jolie. I'd like to wet her lips and stick her to something. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> I mean, that, that is like, a, you know, a half step away from Trump's pussy-grabbing tape. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, one there's a scene where he's uh, where he's talking to reporters and he's like, um, he's like, I had sex with a prostitute when I was 21. I was so bad she gave me a refund. Uh, you know, Italy just elected a porn star to their Senate, which is wonderful because that means no sex scandals, just great posters and incredible downloads. I don't even get that. I mean, I guess the idea is because she would be on the, the campaign posters or something. Oh, doing sex. <laughs> Just being a porn star? Yeah, okay. I, I okay. don't know. Enron. We take your money and run. Smackdown. So anyway, that's... But you know, it, that's it what, sort of looks like a joke and it kind of has the vague <laughs> taste and smell of a joke without being funny, which anyway, is what you could say for a lot of uh, Robin Williams' late period work. Folks, that's what the powers that be are <laughs> up against. And you know what it reminds me of it is like... Uh, who who was it? I'm trying to remember which like stupid grifting you know Trump era book or it was maybe a maybe it was like a viral article that was like you know here are concrete ways you can you know get involved and, and mm. resist you know the Fourth Reich in America or whatever and then you know one of the recommendations was just like subscribe to the New York Times and the <laughs> Washington Post yeah you know and I mean. I mean, we've really just, it all keeps coming back to just the Michael and us meta theme of like, just like, you know, all of, uh, all of philosophy is a footnote to Plato, you know, all of <laughs> politics is a footnote to Slacker Uprising. Today I was in the Oval Office uh, on a preparatory meeting and I sat behind the president's desk and I had a reality check. It kind of overwhelmed me. I, I sat there and went, wait a minute, I'm a jester. A jester doesn't rule the kingdom. He makes fun of the king. And for a brief moment... I thought, you know, I could be the president of the United States. I thought I was president of the United States till Eleanor talked to me. It's, uh, I know, it's, we're not on book anymore, and the cue card guy is going. <laughs> no, we just usually do fake news and jokes. We don't usually have real news and non-jokes. So watch out, Oprah. Because we're going to go real, girl. But here's the deal. A lot of you voted for me, or at least some of you. Yeah, thank you. 
And I know you voted for me because you were fed up with the status quo. You, but you were voting for change for the sake of change. And, you know, listen, you could vote for someone better than me. You can do a lot better than me. You can do a lot better than most of the politicians you've elected recently. And definitely, don't put your faith in a machine that has less controls than a Vegas slot machine. In the spirit of this movie, I wanted to uh, dredge up something that I found when I was actually researching, you know, and thinking about this article for Current Affairs. And it's just, you know, it just didn't really have a, a particularly good place in, in the article, but it's an amazing bit of political paraphernalia. And I'm talking about the 2012 Politico primary, which was kind of a simulated primary. So the editors of Politico premised this thing on, you know, the, the need for out-of-the-box thinking and somebody who could you know harness kind of populist sentiment and uh they wrote you know the public has had it with washington and eventual politics americans have lost trust and respect in the conventional governing class and there's mounting evidence voters don't see president obama or any of the republican contenders as good options so you know so far so good i mean there's something to that and I don't want to get too into the uh you know the kind of somewhat inscrutable process for this primary here i mean they collected you know votes and stuff but um, who do they collect votes from? I readers or something okay. like that. I mean, it's it's not it's not really that important. But I mean, I guess as as a qualified defense, then they sort of posited this as like part parlor game, part reporting assignment. That was what they called it, right? Mm -hmm. But guess who they turned up as kind of these outside of the box thinkers? Don't don't guess, because uh, okay, because okay. you'll never because your guesses will never be as good as what these actually are. So, uh, David Petraeus. Okay. Um, the, so, because, and in that one, you know, you could tell there's like a weird fetish for, you know, we just need a military mind to yeah. come in and clean this yeah. all. We just need our own Mussolini. Well, because we love the troops more than they do. And, and. Because we only send them for the right and reasons. The, and the, and the blurb that they had at the, at the end of the David Petraeus, like David Petraeus' blurb ends with the statement, in the end, every voter wants the same darn thing, a strong leader they can truly Hell believe yeah. in. So then they brought in this guy, uh, there had to be, you know, a generic like corporate CEO, right? And so uh, John Chambers from, from Cisco, who they defended on the grounds that he has a, uh, he has a, an appeal based on his ability and know-how about creating jobs in a competitive global economy. <laughs> so there's, a, there's another break with the out-of-the-box thinking. And they package him by saying he could run as an authentic outsider, someone who hasn't spent his life pursuing public office. A Washington has no damn clue message on navigating and dominating the world economy <laughs> would resonate for many. His smooth speaking style and self-confidence would play well on the national stage. So next up, we we have Condoleezza Rice, um, okay. because because nothing says a break from the conventional governing <laughs> class is like a former Secretary of State. Like I think Condoleezza Rice had vaguely, like she'd at one point had a Democratic affiliation of some kind in the past or something. So she has the you know the big B bipartisan appeal. Mm -hmm. um, so they say with as far as I can tell, no evidence that she uh, she has she she need she she needs to find or she would find. Um, a sharper and more populous voice, or if she could, then she'd be a she'd be a threat. So, um, are there any showbiz candidates on here, like Oprah or somebody? Un unfortunately, not because we haven't. I don't think they'd uh, we'd quite reach that level of. I feel like people at, even at the time were kind of saying things like, "Well, more in the Bush era, people were saying things like, well, what if Tom Hanks ran?' You know, stuff like that." Okay, but there may not be a showbiz person, but I've I saved the best for last. All right. Um, <laughs> So the, the kicker is Hillary Rodham Clinton. <laughs> they say that she would be um, a viable independent candidate. Yeah. And the reason for that, and this is supposed to be in her favor, is because her family's access to rich donors is legendary. <laughs> 
Um, so that's the break Not from wrong, conventional you know? politics is, yeah. is somebody running outside of the Democratic Party, but on the backs of the same donors who are bankrolling the whole goddamn thing. You know, there's a great piece. Uh, kudos to uh, Greg Marks, who wrote a review of the political primary and appropriately tore it apart in the mm. Columbia Journalism Review. October 7th, 2011. Um, that's how I found it. I, I really think going back to this kind of idea of like post-partisanship, which is so prevalent still today and which is kind of a big part of the, the this film, this is what for some people, certain, you know, dare I say it, elites, this is what outside the box thinking is. Mm -hmm. It's not actually fundamentally different. It's not, it doesn't represent, it's not manifest in you know, a substantive programmatic change. It's manifested in, in you know, the same things happening, but the process through which they happen being a bit different. Mm -hmm. So Hillary Clinton is going to break with the government, you know, from the governing classes. She's going to be the refreshing new person because she's going to run as an independent, mm -hmm. but with the same donors. Or a guy who hasn't, you know, been in the beltway all his life, but he's been out there creating the real jobs on the front line of Silicon Valley or something. <laughs> It's very interesting what counts as outside the box when the horizons of politics are so narrow. And I think that, I guess on a more positive note, one of the things that's happened in the last few years is, for a lot of people anyway, you know, the horizons of politics have actually opened up. And, you know, the the, the, the ongoing kind of political and, and moral cri and spiritual crisis of a Trump presidency, for some people that's contracted, you know, mm -hmm. their horizons. So they just do like... Eric Garland has tweet storms about Russia all day. But for other people, it's opened up new horizons where they can actually think about a politics that does break from, you know, the conventional. A lot of people today are getting their news from podcasts. <laughs> and I think, like, what if two podcast hosts ran? Well, you, <laughs> well, I mean, you read it in We Are the Zeitgeist. You read it in Indiana <laughs> Indianapolis-based all week. Yes, so, yes. you know. <laughs> now watch this drive. One man, one vote. Now is that really real? The name of our game is Let's Make a Deal. Now people got their problems, the haves and the have not, but the ones that make me listen pay for 30 second spots. 30 seconds. Yeah. 30, 30 seconds. Yeah. Yo, Bank of America, this table over here, Wells Fargo and Citibank, you really very dear. Loan billions to Mexico and never have to fear, cause taxpayers, taxpayers, take it in the rear. Take it in the rear, take, take it in the rear, take it in the rear. Take it in the rear. Yo, over here, we got our friends from oil. They don't give a shit how much wilderness is spoiled. They tell us that they're careful. We know that it's a lie. As long as we keep driving cars, they let the planet die. Let the planet die. Let the planet die. Exxon, Mobile, the salt is in Kuwait. If we still got the Middle East, the atmosphere can wait. The Arabs got the oil. We buy everything they sell. But if the brothers raise the price, we blow them all to hell. Now let me hear you say it. Saddam. Hussein. yeah, we should, uh, yeah, we should just check, check the levels. Check, check, me, 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 me. 
Sorry, they're getting a little loud. Oh, it's like, it's like having too much Viagra. <laughs> yeah. It's like breast implants. <laughs> oh, oh, could, oh, could you imagine, could you imagine a, 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 a prostitute with Viagra? We should, you know what, we should get some of his one-liners from the movie. Because, um, uh, like, we need to give people, we need to give people some, like, okay, man of the year quotes. Oh, man, classic. Classic Tom Dobbs. Uh, <laughs> oh, politicians are a lot like diapers. They should be changed frequently and for the same reason. <laughs> uh, when I was a young boy, I used to look at pictures of naked ladies. Hence, my right hand is very strong. I touch myself more than the third base coach. <laughs> the president wants to pass an amendment banning same-sex marriage. Anybody who's been married oh, knows it's always the same sex. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> We've all been there, eh, Tom? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, Why is he a bachelor? 